may be seated. walking down an aisle to something like that. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, I remember that, and uh, it's probably one of the most uh, overwhelming, nervous feelings mixed with excitement. All right, wanted to jump up and do that. You know, kind of, did anyone do that, by the way, just jump up and go, yeah, yeah, and probably not the right moment to do that, but uh, yeah. Uh, Man, marriage is awesome. And over the next four weeks, here's what I would love to do, is to celebrate marriage. Uh, and so here's how we're going to do this, is I'm going to ask you to, to help me in that. Uh, I want you to send to me your wedding picture, if you can find it, all right? And um, for some of you, it's out on Facebook, and so it kind of looks like that. Oh, Yeah. Now, there's something interesting about this, that the one on the right, we look all fresh and red raw, right? We look good. We look, you know, not, not too bad there. Uh, on the left, um, I see some weariness, some, some aging, some aging. I can give you four reasons for that, uh, four reasons. Um, no, just kidding. But anyway, so I want you to do this. If you'll send to me your wedding picture and then a picture of, of today. This is actually a, a picture of Annette and I celebrating we went out and celebrated our 17th wedding anniversary uh, back in, in April, and so that's what that's from. But I'd love for you to do this for me. If you could do that, and then we want to, if you'll give me permission to use that, I will use it carefully and safely, and uh, over the next few weeks, we'll not do anything too silly with it. Uh, but also, if you'll tell me how long you've been married, and I, I want to celebrate that I, as, as a church body. Um, I, I think that's important, and it doesn't matter if it's one month, two months, I know we have some in, in that boat, or if it's uh, 30 years or plus, or wherever, wherever you're at, I'd love to celebrate that. I know we have some here too that, that are widowed as well, and I'd love for you to celebrate with us. I, I don't want you to miss out on this. I want you to celebrate with us too and, and join us in celebrating uh, marriages also. And, and so if you'll do that, that would be of great help uh, for me over the next four weeks, and, and we'll have some time uh, to just celebrate what God has, has done. Um, as the Apostle Paul has defined the church uh, in his letter to Timothy, one of the things he says is that we are God's household, and, and that you and I, as the people of God, are the pillar and support of truth. Now, that, that's a big deal. Do you guys hear that? that? That we are to be pillars in support of the truth of God in our culture, our society, in our world. And so that, that's critical. Uh, that, that's vital. Uh, and I think it's, it's most important on, on many levels, but, but one in particular with marriage. Because we see it today, we've seen it over the years and, and the decades, the attempt of people trying to, to redefine uh, the sanctity of marriage, uh, and different groups, politicians, uh, you name it, uh, trying to get their hands on defining this great gift uh, of marriage. And so the church, you and I are responsible for upholding God's truth 
uh, his definition of marriage and not to budge an inch on it. And so one of the things I'd like to do over, over the next few weeks is talk about this great gift of marriage, um, what God has, has created it for to make sure we understand, okay, God, what, why did you create marriage? Because if we don't get that, if we don't understand that, then, then, then we'll be off track and, and we'll be frustrated. We won't, we won't be able to experience the joy that he wants us to in our marriages. And then also we will miss out on passing on to the next generation God's plan for it. And I'll be honest with you, that's a, that's a big fear that, that I have. As I look at, at, at my kids and I look at the, the culture and just the, the impression the culture has and the different ways that they're feeding things uh, through social media, through music, and, 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 and just through other people and, and people that haven't experienced that. And you see it expressed in different ways. You can be in the grocery line and, and see it at the store. You, you can be sitting in the coffee shop and hear conversations. And, and you hear it just in the flow of life, how people are totally redefining marriage. And so over the next four weeks, we want to sit and just talk about how God defines it and how he defines it personally and practically for us. We're going to do that. But today what I would love to do is just go back to the beginning. And some of this is going to be uh, words of remembrance to you. They're, they're reminders, but it's good for us to remember. Um, we haven't, in about five or six years, really talked a lot about marriage here at the Ridge um, and so I want to do that. I want to go back and, and remember some things that, that God tells us um, about marriage. Um, and if you're here today and you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm single. Well, great. This is, you need this, all right, just as much as married couples need it. Um, if you're in here and you're a student, you're like, hey, little, I'm a little far removed from this. I'm just going to check out on this. No, don't, don't check out on this because this is, this is a big deal because you want to have God's perspective through the years ahead, as you think through, hey, listen, God calls me to marriage. We need to know, well, what is that? How does he define that? We need to start with God on that. So we're going to do that today. So I want you to hear that. And, and, and if you're here today and, um, man, you've experienced the loss of, of a spouse, I don't want you to check out either. And, and I know that can maybe be hard when we talk about that, and I want to be sensitive to that. But I want you all, I want us all to receive this word today as disciples, as followers of Christ, and, and to hear this as truth over the next few weeks. And, and things that I can use, yes, for my own life, but I can also, as Titus 2 models to us, that, that I can pass this on to older and younger, and I want to be a bearer of truth, a pillar in support of truth of this in my walk, and I want to understand what God wants for marriage, no matter where I'm at. And so I wanted you to hear it that way. So 30,000 foot view. Can we do that? Can we start there this morning? And here's where I just simply want to start with a bunch of questions. Okay, and I know you know the answer to this. I, I know you know this. Is that why does everything exist? Right? I know you know why. I know what just came to your mind, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm glad you know that. But why do animals exist? Why, why do the sun and the moon exist? Why does it all exist? Why does um, sex is, uh, exist? Why does marriage exist? Why do all these things exist? And you know the answer. You would say, most of you in here would say, for the glory of God, all of that exists. For the glory of God. We think about the glory of God this morning. Psalm 145, I don't have this verse on the screen for you today, but the psalmist says, great is the Lord, highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. 
can't define his greatness. We can't put enough words to it. We can't draw pictures of God and his, his glory. We, we, it would take us eternity. We just can't do that. It's unsearchable, his ways, who he is. But you think about his glory this morning. It's who he is. It's his worth, his value. And, and so it's talking about his truth. It's talking about his eternality. It's talking about his faithfulness. It's talking about his patience. It's, it's talking about his wrath. It's talking about everything that God is when we talk about his glory. And so when you think about everything he's created, it's for that. It's for communicating and expressing the glory, the greatness, the beauty, the truth, the goodness of God. And in Psalm 19.1, we're familiar with this text, the Bible tells us the heavens are doing that. They're telling of the glory of God. Their expanse is declaring, communicating the work of God's hands. Paul said at the end of chapter 11 in Romans, verse 36, about the glory of God, he says that from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory of God forever. Amen. And the apostle Paul says in Colossians 1.16 that all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And so I want you to hear that everything this morning as we begin is created to magnify the truth, the worth, the beauty, and the greatness of God. And so I want you to think that, that this morning, that word magnify. What are, what are some things that magnify other things this morning? Some of you guys in here are wearing readers, right? You don't want to admit that. But readers help magnify things, right? And some of us are getting to that stage, all right? We admit that. Uh, a magnifying glass, right, magnifies things. In science, what magnifies things? Microscope, magnify things. What does microscopes do? They, they take small things and they make them look bigger than they really are. So, so here's the deal. When you think of magnifying God, when you think of glorifying God this morning, I don't want you to think in terms of a microscope, of taking something small and, and making it bigger than it is. Don't think of glorifying, magnifying that way, Okay. Instead, I want you to think of it in terms of a telescope. Right, Dan? Think of a telescope. I mean, we know what a telescope does. Telescopes magnify by making unimaginably big things look like what they really are to us. That's what a telescope does. It takes big things like stars and, and moon and sun, and it makes it, which is big and huge, it makes it, to our view, to our mind, something now that we can see as it, as it really is. So microscopes move the appearance of size away from reality. That's what microscopes do. But telescopes, they move the appearance of size, of size toward reality. And so I want you to think in terms of a telescope this morning. And so when I say that all things exist to magnify the truth, the worth, the beauty, the goodness, the greatness of God, I mean all things, and in particular this morning, marriage. Marriage exists to move the appearance of God in people's minds toward reality, like a telescope. Our marriage is to be something that people can look into and the reality of God moves closer to them by viewing our marriage. We're created, all of us, to glorify God. Everything is, our marriage especially. Now think about purpose for a bit. As we think about why God created everything. So what happens when you use something 
for a purpose other than what it's supposed to be used for. What happens? So here's what I want you to think about this morning. I've, I've got some things here this morning. I thought some of you guys were in moods for props, so I did that. I think about this toaster right here. My kids, one of the things my kids love, they love uh, s'mores. They like s'mores. Um, I'm kind of moody when it comes to s'mores. It just depends on how I feel, okay? But they love s'mores. But, but if I want to do s'mores quick, and I don't want to go outside and do s'mores, what, what, what could I do? Could I just say, you know what? Instead of going outside and, and putting this over fire, let's just, let's just get it straight up marshmallow in the toaster. <laughs> let's just make this quicker. I mean, this, is, this is cool, right? There's no problem with this, all right? Negative, right? It ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. It's not going to work. Um, I'm in the middle of, of painting my daughter's room with her, and it's taking a while, and she's going to remind me of that after church, that it's still not done, um, but many of you guys, if you ever talk to me, you notice, maybe you don't, and if you don't, that's great. But I've got a yellow tooth um, that just kind of hangs out. It's not because of bad uh, dental work or brushing of teeth. It's because it's not real. So just over a period of time, it just, it's become that way. So if you haven't noticed that, thank you very much. If you haven't, hadn't said anything, are we really friends? Are we? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but, but as I'm, I'm painting the room, if all of a sudden I just decided, you know what, I, this paint's really looking good on this wall, and it's doing a great work on the wall, I wonder what work it could do on my tooth. I mean, that would be pretty cool. And we'd just do a quick whitening job, and that'd be really great, right? You cool with that? No, it's not going to work. George's. All right, that's good. It, those, that's not its purpose, right? We get that. That's silly. That's silly, but, but when we take something outside of its purpose and use it for something else, what happens? Things get messy, right? Things get messy. It's not as enjoyable, right? It's not as enjoyable to have paint in your mouth instead of on the wall. <laughs> it's not enjoyable to, to, to have marshmallow all over the toaster, not to get to enjoy it with chocolate and graham crackers. And so it is with marriage. Marriage has a purpose, and so I want us to just get that this morning. I want us to see this picture that, that God has put a specific purpose to marriage. In fact, David tells the Israelites, and I love this verse, in Psalm 34, verse 3, he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Come, let us exalt his name together. And so marriage is to do that, it's to be that telescope, to bring the reality of God closer to people so they can see a picture of who he is. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to start with God. Because when we talk about marriage, if we just start with marriage, and we just start getting practical, and we just start getting like, okay, this is what marriage is supposed to be like, and stuff like that, then, then we miss it. I think we miss it. And, and so let's start with, with God, right? And we'll get to some practical things later in the series. But, but look with me, if you would, to Genesis 2. George read it for us, a, a verse, a set of passages that we are all pretty much familiar with probably, maybe not all, but most of us maybe. But look at Genesis chapter two and begin in verse 18. And I want you to see here God has created everything. And then here we are with the creation of man. And in verse 18, what do we find happening? It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. 
One of the things I love about Genesis 1 and 2 is we see this communication of God. We see the triune God, just communication happening, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so we see it right here as well. It says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he could call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. So here we see uh, the ruling of man over creation, over these animals, by naming them. He says, the man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field, but... For Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Now, there's some things that we find right here in in what's happening is God's creating man as he's allowing him to rule, give names, authority. He has authority over these animals. Um, But here he finds Adam without a helper suitable. The animals aren't sufficient for helping Adam with what he truly needs. And for what God creates man for, the animals are obviously not sufficient for that. We see here that man was not created. You and I were not created for individualism, to to simply live life alone in our houses, closed up behind blinds or anything such like that. We're not created for individualism. But he says right here that there was not a helper suitable for him, literally a corresponding strength for him. You see, what we're going to find is that you and I are created. We're wired for community. We're we're wired for uh, submissive, mutual, serving relationships. We are created for that, to enjoy relationships. That's how he's wired you and I. And so look what he does here in verse 21. And and when we read this, I, I push familiarity to the side and let awesomeness come in and, and just blow your mind, Right? Look what happens in verse 21, because it says here, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. How many of you guys, when you get to heaven, you're going to be like, Jesus, can I see that on demand? I mean, because it's going to, I imagine it's on demand. Can I see that in 3D? Can I see it in HD? Whatever glasses you want to give me, can I just see that? I mean, that is, that's cool. And I'm, I'm, I would imagine... It's rolling all the time, right? He does this great surgical, creative work. The Lord God fashioned, in verse 22, into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Wow. I mean, that's amazing. God did this work. And then the man says this. This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, right? Or some of your translations, I think the Hebrew says, whoa, man, right? Um, Because she was taken out of man. Beautiful poetry. Adam basically is saying here, just as God said after every day of creation, it is good, right? And he is saying, yes, this is good. This woman, this corresponding strength, this suitable helper that you've made for me, this is good. And then Look what happens in verse 24. It says, for this reason. So, so here, here's what God has done. So that phrase causes you to go back to the verses we just read. And that's important because what we're finding right here is, is what God is going to say is, okay, for this reason, I, this is why I created marriage. 
that this is what it's based on, a creative work, a creative order, a designer work by the author, by the architect. And here was his purpose for it. And so look at verse 25. He says, for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so God creates Eve, and he also creates this sacred bond of marriage, bringing the man and the woman together in this oneness, in this relationship that was freeing, that was loving, that was secure, that was without any fear or anxiety before each other. And so here what we find is that this is God's doing. This is his design. That's what marriage is. We even find a little setup of what parenting is too. That here you have this this mom and this dad who um, now this kid leaves, right? I mean, that's what they're supposed to do. They're eventually supposed to leave, leave, and then cleave to this one that God gives them. And so the man and this woman are united. They're united in this one flesh marriage. And so this is the paradigm. This is God's paradigm of marriages to come. As families are started, as new homes are created, this is God's plan. And so it says they were naked. They were not ashamed. Meaning this, there's no self-consciousness, no guilt. There's no joyful, there's joyful innocence instead. There's openness. There's this utter candor. Nothing uh, is hidden from God or from each other. So what do you have here? You have the perfect marriage, right? The perfect marriage. And I mean, we're all sitting there going, yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. That's cool. What happened, right? I mean, all of us were like, man, what, what happened? This is, this is the perfect marriage. But changed, right? We know the story. We know how it rolls from here. In Genesis 3, what happens? Look at verse 1. Things change. In verse 1, it tells us of chapter 3, the serpent, more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made, said to the woman, Indeed, God has said, You shall not eat from any true, or excuse me, any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat or, uh, from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. See how crafty the serpent is? For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good, evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked now. They sewed fig leaves together. They made themselves loin coverings. And so just, there's this perfect marriage, and now it's not perfect anymore. They knew they were naked, meaning all that openness, all that candor, um, now is replaced by what? Shame, guilt, all that joy replaced by feeling of, man, we screwed up, we messed up, we got to hide, we got to cover ourselves. The perfect marriage is gone. And we see here, obviously, the, the entrance of sin into humanity. And some of us, we look at this and go, man, wow, that doesn't seem like too big of a deal what happened there. But no, that's, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. I was sitting in front of some people the other night at a, a game, and 
there, I heard this conversation just going on in my peripheral, and it was a wife saying to her husband, hey, I've, I've got to get going. I've got to go and hurry up and get to this, this thing. And, and he says, oh, just, it doesn't matter. Just be late or just miss it or whatever. And she says, no, I can't. And he said, hey, just tell him you've got this. And he, it was something other than a volleyball game. And, he said, and she said, no, I don't want to lie. And he said, oh, it's just a white lie. It doesn't matter. And, and I mean, how, how often may we, may we think like that? And we look what happens here and we think, oh, that just seems so just small. And, but no, I mean, this changes everything, right? And, and what we see right here is disobedience, any sort of disobedience, small or big. However we look at it, it brings consequences. And it's a big deal to God. So much so here, this changes the whole scope of everything. And sin enters into humanity. And now man is depraved. When we come into this world, we're fallen, and we're all guilty because of sin. And look at verse 8. It says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And then he said, who told you, God, God said this, that you are naked? I have, uh, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave, uh, she gave me from the tree and I ate. And so this perfect marriage now, not so perfect, right? Everything has changed. What was supposed to be, as we see so beautifully in John, or Genesis 2, now changes in Genesis 3. You see, this is what happens, right? It's like putting a marshmallow in a toaster. It's like painting your teeth with bare paint. Wasn't made for that. And here is marriage taking out of its purpose as they follow Instead of God's way, they, they follow the way of falsehood. They follow the way of the enemy. And things fall apart. And we see just the continuation of that is that the beat would continue to go on. And we see it even still here today. Where marriage and, and the truth of God is completely taken out of its purpose. People try to redefine it. People try to live according to their own ways and to their own way of thinking. But what's amazing right here, what I love what God does is is hope enters in, even in the midst of, of brokenness, right? And for some of us, when we talk about marriage, one of the first things that, that happens is sometimes we've, we feel brokenness because of maybe past marriages or past relationships or maybe the current situation. We, we feel the weight of that. We feel brokenness because that's what we have right here. We have brokenness, and that's our world. And we, we are broken people. With stories and, and a trail of brokenness and, 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 and messiness. And messiness is real to life. It's real. It's real. But what I love about what God does here is he shows us that in the middle of brokenness, in the middle of imperfection, in the middle of things going awry, there's hope. There's hope. And so look at this hope. Look at verse 15. I love this verse in Genesis 3. Um, God says this, he says, I will put enmity, hate, strife between you, talking to the serpent, 
and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. And so there is going to be hate. So when we see hate in the world, when we see just brokenness in the world and strife in the world, I mean, this is, is why. This is why. This is what sin has done. This is the effects. This is the consequence of sin. And then look what happens next as we look at the middle of this verse. He says, he shall, so, so there's this masculine pronoun, he shall bruise you on the head, God talking to the serpent, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And so what God is saying here is there's going to be specifically one who's going to bruise on the head the enemy, literally crush the head of the enemy. That sounds like similar language that Paul is going to use later because that's what Jesus will do on the cross. The cross will be a strike on the heel, you betcha, to Jesus Christ. But through that, he will disarm the powers of the enemy. He will disarm principalities of evil. And he will defeat and crush the enemy. And so here we have hope. We have hope. You remember what happened? They were trying to cover themselves up with fig leaves and everything. And then what we see here is now God says, hey, listen, there's going to be hope. He wants to communicate. There's hope. This is going to happen. And then in verse 21, look what he does. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. He provides for Adam. He provides for Eve, and I, I love this picture because basically he's saying, listen, you, your fig leaves aren't going to work. They're not going to work. You can cover up things. You can try to do it on your own. That's what religion does. I mean, you can try to do all that. You can try to hide, but hey, listen. God comes in and says, I'm going to provide. I'm going to provide your covering, and that's what he's done, and that's the story of the gospel. That's what we have here. It's called the, the Proto-Evangelion. It's the first gospel it's the hope for mankind. And that's what Jesus came to do. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18. It tells us that Jesus comes to make all things new. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have gone. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things, as it says, are from God who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus comes and brings hope that Things can change. Messiness can change. Brokenness can change. Wasteful living can now start being purposeful living. Guilt can be done away with shame. Innocence of loss can all be restored and made new and healed through the death of Jesus Christ. And this changes everything. And so here we have this beautiful story, this beautiful story of, of things that went awry that now there's hope. And here's the beauty of marriage that I want you to hear. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 through 32, listen to what Paul says. He says, listen, guys, God's given us a telescope, and here it is. Look what he does in verse 31. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. You see what, see what God's doing? You see what Paul's doing? I mean, there's a lot of defining of marriage here. So you have this man and woman. They're called mom and dad. They're going to have kids. They're going to be joined together, one flesh relationship. And then 
when they come together, um, there is going to be kids, right? Procreation, there be kids, and, and, and they are going to leave eventually mom and dad. And then they're going to come and be joined to one another, male and female. So a lot of defining going on here that we as the church, we've got to support and hold up that truth. And so here he's just said, hey, okay, marriage. This is marriage, verse 31. But then look what he says in verse 32, and I love this. He says, this mystery is great. It's profound. But I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. And so if you've ever read Ephesians, and you're just wondering in chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, he's talking about marriage, and now he's talking about this, and there's a lot of mixing in, from 22 down to 33 of Jesus Christ, the, the husband, and, and the church, and the wife, and it's just all this stuff going on, and it's this beautiful weaving picture of what God has for marriage. It's a great purpose to be a telescope, is to reveal to the world the relationship of Jesus Christ with the church. You see, I, I love a good mystery. Growing up, I read uh, The Hardy Boys, and so I loved a good mystery. I love that. I still today love every now and then watching if we get a chance to a mystery. I like that element. And so mystery is, 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 is secret, stuff that's hidden, stuff that is unknown to one's understanding. And so here you have this idea, as Paul is saying, this idea of mystery, is, it's, it's unknown. It's, it's not completely seen of what it is. He uses this word like six, seven, eight times in his letter here. And so what's the mystery of Marriage, according to what Paul says right here, is that God has designed marriage to parallel, to display the union of Jesus Christ with his church, just like a telescope causes the appearance of things to come into clearer reality of what they really are. That's what he says marriage is doing. It's causing the reality of Jesus and the relationship to the church to come into reality for people, to be a witness of who he is. That's what God's doing. He's taking the gospel and he's displaying it through these two that are coming together to display the glory of God. That's what marriage is for. This has to be the purpose because if in marriage it's not, it becomes like the toaster, like the marshmallow, it becomes like the paint. In the teeth of my mouth. See, if marriage is just about marriage, we miss it. If it's just about our needs being met, we miss it. You see, it's got a higher purpose, much higher purpose. And we've got to start with God. If we don't, We'll get disabled with fear. We'll get overrun with selfishness, possessiveness, I mean, you name it. If our needs aren't getting met, we get disappointed. But if our mind is fixed on God, His purpose, His design, His goal, it helps us. It helps us in our communication. It helps us in, in what we're doing and how we see things. We start th seeing things with eternity in mind. And so how that could change conflict, that could change a lot of things. It helps us go in the same direction. 
Because we know, hey, listen, what, it, what are we about? We're about the glory of God. It defines who we are and what we're doing together. So over the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about practically what that looks like. I mean, God's, God's word gives us so much, but we've got to begin here. That God has given you your spouse, husband and wife, to display the beauty of Jesus Christ and how he's extended his life, eternal life to us through his death on the cross. And he took our place on that cross and crushed the head of the enemy. When things went awry, he brought hope. And that's what he did through the cross in your relationship to your spouse is to reveal that, is to show that. As you interact with each other, to show the beauty of the gospel, to put it on display. And so I pray we get that. I pray we understand that. I pray we go for that. I pray that that defines our marriage. And so today as we close, have you entered into this glorious relationship with Jesus that Paul says our marriages are put in display. Do you know Christ? as your Lord and Savior. I want you to know, just as Eve and Adam, they stumbled in the garden. We've all stumbled. The Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all have done what Adam and Eve have done. We've all disobeyed. But just as God provided for them the skin of the animals to be garments for them, he has provided Jesus for us. And he has become our righteousness. If we would simply believe and have faith in Christ, and he gives us the gift of his righteousness that we would stand right before God and not be separated from him for eternity, but now to have a relationship with him. So if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, your Lord and Savior, I extend to you just that invitation to know Christ and to trust him. And may you believe in him today. Let's pray.